Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, White House correspondent John Harwood left CNN recently. So did Brian Stelter, a consistent critic of Donald Trump and Fox News, leading people to wonder if this is the cable network, quote, evolving back to its neutral roots, which is a wish expressed by cable mogul investor and Fox News admirer John Malone. But as the media landscape and politics change so much, it's impossible to find a middle. Even if we could find it, is that where we'd want the press to be? We talked to media critic Jay Rosen about the media's role in a functioning democracy and where we are today. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. CNN is a cable news network in flux. Earlier this month, its White House correspondent John Harwood announced his departure a day after he made this statement on air about President Biden's speech on the threat of Trumpism. The core point he made in that political speech about a threat to democracy is true. Now, that's something that's not easy for us as journalists to say. We're brought up to believe there's two uh, different political parties with different Uh, points of view, and we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them. But that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Republican Party right now is led by a dishonest demagogue. Many, many Republicans are rallying behind his lies about the 2020 election and other things as well. And a significant portion or a uh, sufficient portion uh, of the constituency that they're leading attacked the Capitol on January 6th violently. That was John Harwood. CNN also recently axed Brian Stelter, a critic of Trump and Fox News, on his now-canceled show, Reliable Sources. It's not totally clear what drove their departures from CNN, but a framing that's emerged of what's happening there is that it's tacking to the middle or turning down the volume on its critique of Trump and Trumpism. And we want to invite you, our listeners, to tell us what you think of CNN, if you have gotten wind of this as a strategy, and whether you think it's the right way to go. Do you watch cable news? If so, why? If not, why not? Also, this is a broader conversation about how well the mainstream media is holding up and informing the public, especially in relation to democracy as today is the day before Democracy Day. 
So for more on all of that is Jay Rosen, a media critic who writes and edits the Press Think blog and teaches journalism at NYU. So glad to have you back on Forum, Jay Rosen. Thank you very much, Mina. So do you have any insights on what's actually happening at CNN on what drove the departures of John Harwood and earlier the firing of Brian Stelter and the canceling of his show? Well, it's striking how little CNN has actually said about it. Um, they let Brian Stelter go in the middle of his contract. They gave no official reason why. CNN's uh, communications desk said that uh, he was an impeccable broadcaster and that they were extremely proud of what he had done with the network. Uh, and yet they were letting him go. What we know about it comes only through the media reporters talking to nameless sources in CNN. And when you total up their accounts, uh, the picture that emerges is that um, new leadership at the network was nervous about how um, Stelter's programs seemed to be drifting left, that they wanted CNN to be more of a, a centrist network, um, that he had indulged too much in opinion. Um, and uh, when they let um, another journalist go who was very critical of Trump, um, Richard Harwood, um, they said nothing again about that. Um, and so the result is a lot of uncertainty at the network uh, and a, a kind of baffling opacity to the decision making there. Yeah. Would you say that you've seen a change in its coverage as a result? And and if so, from from what to what? Like, what would you say CNN mm. was before that it's doing less of now? Maybe a few more Republicans in talking head positions, a more caution in, in speaking uh, about politics. But that there's so much content in the yeah. course of a day at CNN. It's really hard to make general comments about what the network as a whole is doing. But um, what we know from, again, from the meter reporters who are almost exclusively using uh, anonymous sourcing is that people are very nervous. They don't quite know what they're supposed to do. And that, that somehow the powers that be at the network want it to become more middle of the road um, and maybe less alienating to Trump supporters, which is the most extraordinary thing, because I don't know anyone who understands this space well, who thinks that anything CNN can do will actually get Trump supporters to become like fans of the network. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we are. Well, well, before we get into why they would be unlikely to get fans of the network, I am curious how even those adjustments, those those few adjustments that you may have noticed make you feel, or even if there is some truth to the idea that they would turn down the volume on attacking Trumpism, given the fact that you have been sounding the alarm for a while about how the press needs to be willing to call out Trumpism, the big lie, other election lies, uh, for, for journalists to be explicitly pro-truth, pro-democracy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what's so extraordinary about this to me is um, that the whole reason reporters at CNN 
as well as show hosts, people like Jake Tapper, anchors, have been critical of Republicans and of Trump is just the vast number of lies and deceptions that pour forth from this group of people nonstop. Um, and when the people on your show um, say things that are false uh, or indulge in demagoguery, uh, it's up for the journalists on set to do something about that. And so in that sense, CNN, I don't believe, shifted to the left. It just shifted to, to a more direct confrontation with lying politicians and with the master propagandists that Donald Trump began with his 30,000 lies and deceptions, according to the fact checkers at the Washington Post. Um, so it was really a reaction to that, to one of the two major parties going off in a direction where not only were factual truths unimportant, but attacking the news media as the enemy of the people became a regular method and became kind of central to the politics of the Trump coalition. And it was really that that changed CNN, if anything, did. And so if CNN is now saying, well, that's going too far, then what it appears to be saying is we don't want to confront untruths that directly. And yet they don't want to say that. Um, and so that's a, another part of the opacity, baffling opacity that we're seeing in the wake of these decisions. Yeah. And then what impact does that have more broadly? For example, does it legitimize the attacks on CNN as a biased entity, especially by people on the right or strengthen Trump's strategy to to suggest or to explicitly say that any negative coverage against him is liberal bias. Well, this is another thing that's really extraordinary about it is Stelter, because he was so critical of Fox News and so relentless in pointing out that not only has Fox News become a kind of propaganda network in total, but that during the Trump years, it was very difficult to actually untangle Fox News from the White House itself. Like they became almost one organism. And he pointed that out repeatedly. He wrote a book about Fox. He had a lot of sources within Fox that would talk to him. Um, and as a result, he became um, kind of an, an object of derision and uh, a relentless attack from Fox itself, from the fans of Fox, and from people on the culture war who just took their cues from people like Tucker Carlson. And so they made not to make fun of him was a, would be an understatement. They were savage to him, attacking his looks, his weight, um, his appearance on camera. Um, and so um, firing, uh, removing such a person after he had become that kind of figure also kind of communicates to Fox News and its many fans and, and the culture warriors it attracts, that they won. They won because CNN found uh, Stelter to be exactly what they found him to be. And um, that may not be the exact calculus within CNN, but since they said nothing about why he's gone, they're 
uh, inviting that conclusion. And that just seems to me a strange kind of reasoning. Yeah. Well, Sue writes, the media needs to tell the truth. Democrats say one thing, Republicans say the opposite. The media must tell people who is telling the truth and what the truth is. Otherwise, how will we know? So if criticism is being toned down in pursuit of something that suggests middle or objectivity even to some extent, has that had the effect of basically saying that when you're calling out the untruths or the lies that 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 listener was concerned about, um, that they, in fact, were not being truthful. <laughs> yeah, and maybe they'll allow CNN people to continue to do that. Maybe they won't. Um, but it's very different environment from the one that Jeff Zucker created, where I think people at CNN felt emboldened to be able to do that. And, and if you push back on, let's say, stop the steal rhetoric, um, the network should be behind you. You shouldn't have to ask yourself, um, should I be a little bit more centrist about it? I mean, what it's this, the whole idea of centrism or middle of the road in this situation doesn't even make that much sense. Uh, What's the middle of the road between respecting a free press and enemy of the people? The CNN really want to drive down the middle of that issue? It's 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 hard to it's hard to square with what CNN says it is. We're talking with Jay Rosen, media critic, writer, editor of PressThink.org, professor of journalism at NYU, and you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts. You can share them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, and you can call us, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, and we will get to your calls after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we'll be looking at tomorrow. California's Fast Recovery Act, signed into law by Governor Newsom, but being challenged by critics, the law sets minimum labor standards in fast food franchises and could raise the minimum wage for fast food workers up to $22. 
What effect would it have on you, fast food workers, California's economy? You can share your thoughts on that in a voicemail at 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking about CNN, the dilemma facing mainstream newsrooms covering politics, that the way that impacts democracy. We're talking about it with media critic and NYU journalism professor Jay Rosen. And with you, our listeners, you're sharing your thoughts at... KQED Forum on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and tweets. Brian Stelter and John Harwood represent voices presenting urgently important information in this time of so many threats to democracy. What on earth is CNN thinking? You can also email us, forum at kqed.org. Call us 866-733-6786, Let me go to Colin in San Francisco. Hi, Colin. Good morning. Um, my question or comment is that it seemed to be during the campaign in 2015 and 2016, CNN covered Donald Trump absolutely breathlessly, including such episodes where Trump announced that he was going to explain his position on the birther controversy and CNN ran the event, uh, covered the event uh nonstop uh and in effect um you know gave trump so much um free publicity that i have to wonder that if their coverage of trump while he was president went over to the other extreme where people like jim acosta jake tapper and brian stelter were so relentlessly critical of the administration, uh, that there was no real balance. Um, and I hope maybe that the network would um, at least cover the ex-president uh, in a more balanced manner and cover other issues than uh, Donald Trump, although I'm, I acknowledge he's probably good for their ratings. Well, Colin, thanks for that point. Jay Rosen, what do you think? Do you think that they were trying to overcorrect CNN for the way that they promoted Trump, as Colin puts it, in 2015-2016 by going after him? And in Colin's, you may be going after him in an unbalanced way or overcritically. Well, there's no doubt that uh, CNN was attracted to the spectacle of Donald Trump in 2015-2016, and then it went way overboard. In fact, Jeff Zucker eventually admitted that they went far too far. Um, even more stark were the words of the CEO of CBS, who said it may not be good for America, but it's good for CBS. Um, and so there was widespread recognition that that um, Trump was an exciting uh, show and television has a weakness for that. Um, now, on the question of overreaction, I think you can make the case that um, cable television especially, but the news media as a whole, uh, over-covered Trump in, in a sense of allowing him and his outrageousness to become such a huge part of the news, blotting out every other um, plane in the sky. I, I think that's fair. Um, but asking for more balanced coverage of a demagogue who is trying to, um, uh, uh, in effect, destroy our democracy, I think is off base. In fact, one of the one of the difficult things about covering Trump and about 
broadcasting about him is that simply describing some of the things that he does and says sounds opinionated, even if all you're doing is reciting the facts because the facts are so extreme. And I don't think that the answer to that is balance. In fact, what happened is Trump was so extreme that he kind of broke the principle of balance. It doesn't really make sense. As I said earlier, what's the uh, middle point between respecting the press and press as enemy of the people? Um, and so I'm not sure that it was it, the coverage of Trump was too negative. It may have been too relentless. Well, <clears throat> Let me just read Maddie's comment because it's echoing what you're saying. Maddie writes, when the mainstream media prioritizes reporting on both sides over the truth, they are peddling false equivalents and not serving the public. The terms left, right, and centrist become meaningless when the right is unmoored from reality. To retain relevance, the mainstream media must focus on truth and worry less on balance. Kind of on the other side of that, there's also been criticism of the way that CNN and other mainstream media outlets will criticize Democrats in the same way that they criticize Republicans because they because when they are reporting what the what many members of the Republican Party are doing, not all of course, but many, uh, it sounds partisan. So they overcorrect by trying to be equivalent, I guess, in <laughs> in outrage or equivalent in terms of coverage of criticism or criticism of Democrats. Do you think that's happening? I think it happens a lot. Um, mm. I I also think journalists are far more aware of things like false balance than they used to be, um, which is in partly due to social media and the fact that they they hear that criticism uh, quite a lot. Uh, they still fall into that pattern at times. What I've tried to argue is that instead of basing everything on Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives. Uh, journalists are going to need to introduce a different tension between those who still um, operate within the norms and rules of a settled democracy versus the anti-democratic forces that are at the door. And I would like to see that tension, that conflict uh, become a much larger portion of the news. Well, I want to go back to the point that you were making earlier about whether or not if they do try to tone down their coverage of Trumpism or lies or so on, like even if they manage to find some perfect line where they could be truth tellers without calling out Trump and his enablers in the GOP, you don't think viewers will come back. Is that what I heard you saying? I don't see how a middle position brings viewers back. Um, and if um, you do manage to become a, a pro-democracy network, you're going to alienate those people who are willing to do away with democracy in order to win power. And how can you uh, even try to turn those people into an audience for serious news if, for example, they are united by the emotions and the false claims of stop the steal. Um, how is that even possible to, um, to make stop the steal one side of the argument and, uh, and reality the other side? It, do it doesn't make sense. 
So by definition, in this polarized time, tacking to the middle, you think really does mean a, a detriment, I guess, in quality of coverage and and representation of truth. Well, it doesn't help as much if we just say we're um, we're so polarized because of polarization. You know, that's a circular yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Pr- a system that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the, the reason we're polarized is that we have a two-party system, and one of the two is anti-democratic. So the other thing, too, is that CNN did have this heyday, and there is this sense that CNN wants to try to regain some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, another reason that viewers are unlikely to come back is because since then, there has there have been so many changes. Very yeah substantive and structural uh, to the media landscape. Can you talk about a couple of those, Jay Rosen? Well, sure. Um, A lot of the glory of CNN resides in um, its initial coverage of the Iraq war in the 91. Um, But really it's bread and butter is um, uh, breaking news like floods and fires and shootings and stuff that just explodes and becomes like a national crisis for a while. Um, And they're very good at that. They're very good also at moving resources into place to cover big international stories like uh, the war in Ukraine Um, and, and their skills in mobilizing to, to do that on the dime are really impressive, but uh, inevitably, and, uh, Brian Stelter once told me he thinks maybe 40 to 50 days a year you can run CNN on these big stories that uh, only CNN can really own. Mm-hmm. And you still that still leaves you 300 days out of the year, <laughs> right, where you have to program the news yourself based on your own editorial choices, as opposed to the big shooting in Texas that is obviously the news that has to lead the broadcast. Um, and so that's that's one of the uh, problems. Another another thing that's changed since that reputation was originally earned is that the right wing has its own information ecosphere now. Uh, and it only watches CNN in order to ridicule it. And uh, a, a further problem is that the right wing has its own facts, like Stop the Steal, which are considered to be untouchable or unmovable by um, by their members, but are uh, have to be doubted by serious journalists if you're going to be a real news network. Um, and uh, when I watch the machinations around uh, Stelters and Harwood, what I see is leaders who don't want to admit that that change ever happened. They want to go back to a world where there's a Democratic Party and a Republican Party, and they operate more or less the same, but they have different philosophies. And so they argue with each other, and each election is kind of a referendum on which party has the better solutions. And that kind of world is much easier to cover. Now we have a much more difficult situation, as I said earlier, a two-party system, and one of the two has turned anti-democratic. There's nothing in the playbook about that. There's nothing in the way that journalists are educated. There's nothing in the professional culture of the press that um, speaks to that condition. Right. Well, this listener tweets, Americans want to stay in their echo chambers. MSNBC, Fox, and yes, even NPR and KQED have audiences that expect a certain ideology and point of view. CNN will have a hard time finding an audience in this polarized media landscape. Let me go to William in San Dimas. Hi, William. 
Good morning. CNN's never going to come on Edward R. Murrow. No way. That was a guy who was really honest with his news. CNN just wants people to watch their news and buy from their advertisers. <sighs> Fascism is looking very interesting to the Republican Party. Well, I, as a 75-year-old senior citizen, don't want that to happen. Well, William, thanks for sharing your perspective. Let me go next to Tom and Hayward. Hi, Tom. What's yours? <laughs> Speaking of fascists, um, good morning, everyone. Um, I couldn't help but think of a historical event called Kristallnacht. I don't. I trust you're familiar with it. Um, are we at that place where our government and media just are ignoring hardcore facts that may lead to something really catastrophic? I'm approaching that senior world, too. I really don't want to see it. It's a great country, and it just seems that there's a lot of glass being broken these days. Where are we going, Jay Rosen? <laughs> well, um, there are elements of fascism in the rise of the populist right wing, not only in the U.S., um, but in Europe, in the U.K., uh, in the Philippines, in Hungary. Uh, there's a global backsliding in democracy and um, the rise of a populist right, which at times is almost a fascist right, especially in the demonization of uh, immigrants and the rising willingness to use violence to achieve political ends, which we've seen, of course, with January 6th here, but in other ways as well, like the militias. So there's definitely reason to be on guard about the creeping up of fascism in the United States. Uh, and that's another thing that makes sort of on the one hand, on the other hand, straight down the middle news so difficult to understand why that would even be applicable to our situation uh, today. I don't think it is. I think this one of the reasons that um, networks like CNN are having trouble is that um, they've never had to work under conditions in which you have rising fascism in the United States. That's that's not something they trained for. Well, also, when you talk about the normalization of violent rhetoric, and also we see how close that is to physical violence, even just the situation of being a journalist today, the antagonism, the attacks, the death threats, um, mm -hmm. yeah. and whether one can draw a connection, you know, we had that, the recent killing of of Jeff German in Las Vegas, we've had a spate of them uh, with regard to coverage of people in politics in terms of attacks or people who believe and support the people that the journalists are investigating and so on. I mean, I know you. we can't necessarily draw a direct line between that shift in permissiveness with regard to attacks and violent rhetoric against the media and attacks physical attacks and deaths in the media or killings in the media. But I also just feel like we can't ignore it either. No. Um, and we have to make the point that rising resentment at journalists for doing their job is part of a larger climate created by right-wing populism, especially by the figure of Trump, where 
hating on the press is accepted. But not only that, um, one of the results is that the facts and stories and truth that are communicated by the news system are rejected automatically because they're reported by the mainstream media, um, which helps create a kind of uh, echo chamber. And then we have to see those changes, hatred of the press, um, denying the truths that are in the news, um, with other disturbing trends like refusing to debate, mm -hmm. uh, shutting the media out of uh, all political events so that they can't even show up to report, um, or even something as mundane uh, today as refusing to have a, a um, platform, uh, withdrawing from the presidential debates. These, these are all of a piece. Their uh, attempts to create a scrutiny-free zone for uh, right-wing populist politics to continue to emerge, and they're all part of a uh, of a resentment and hostility that Trump cultivated not only to journalists but anybody who has factual truth to offer the polity. You have said that you feel like the decades-long campaign to persuade journalists that they're filled with liberal bias was one of the most successful propaganda campaigns in post-war America. We're coming up on a break, but what did you mean by that? I mean it's become internalized. So that when I say to people in newsrooms, you really have to figure out how to become more pro-democracy, some of them immediately say back to me, oh, so you mean pro-Biden, right? Because they've internalized this idea that they have to fight against liberal bias in order to tell the truth in their own news columns and broadcasts. Um, so you don't even need a propaganda campaign like that anymore. You don't need to work the refs. The refs now work themselves. We're talking with Jay Rosen, uh, editor of PressThink.org, a media critic, a writer, and professor of journalism at NYU. You, our listeners, are sharing with us what you think of the recent changes at CNN, what it says about the mainstream media landscape, what it says about our country. Also, you're sharing your concerns about the state of democracy in relation to the state of our media. 866-733-6786 is the number. Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Our email address, forum at kqed.org. We'll hear from more of you after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the state of the media and, by extension, the state of our democracy with Jay Rosen, 
of NYU and with you, our listeners, sharing your thoughts. Bill writes, the media has a responsibility to call out existential threats and lies. This is not a left-right issue. This is an objective existential threat. If a foreign power attacks the U.S. with lies in service of psychological warfare, then the media has a responsibility to report it. Same is true with domestic threats. The importance of countering both foreign and domestic threats and the importance of the press as the fourth estate were recognized in the founding of this country. It was true then, and it is true today. Leslie writes, when one puts truth on one end of a scale and outrageous lies on the other and says they are taking the middle ground halfway between, taking the middle ground halfway between, doesn't anyone in the media realize half-truths are being validated? And another listener writes, there's nothing centrist or toned down about CNN host Christine Romans using the word Bidenflation last week. Follow the billions and the politics of John Malone of Warner Brothers Discovery who owns CNN, to see the direction the network seems to be going in. I was a daily CNN watcher and now no more. Let me go to Sarah in Panole. Hi, Sarah. Hi. um, I was calling for a comment slash question. I'm wondering if there is space for a new kind of temperament of news. I feel like um, the, the news, the person watching the news is an informed, aware listener and watcher um, that knows that it's an industry and it has to have emotionally charged uh, commentators and and news to Mm -hmm. actually have us turn in. And so because of that, I feel like there's a trend that's happening now where we're not watching the CNN and the the Fox News. We're not super left and we're not super right. I think people are, unfortunately, the worst word for entertainment is bored with this idea that we have to have this emotionally charged conversation um, where these echo chambers are just hitting off of each other. We're bored with it. And I'm sure that there is a new space for a different kind of news. The only boring news (laughs) that you can get or just straightforward news is either PBS C-SPAN or maybe the BBC. Um, we're, we're not getting that in our everyday turn on the channel uh, and watching news. So I feel like if CNN decides to become this more centrist, just telling the facts kind of news station, we might benefit from it. They might find that this, they're the beginning of a new uh, trend of, of news that we're really, really, really wanting. I, I don't feel like, um, you know, the fascist idea is definitely out there. I'm not, but I think the majority of us know that this is out there, but it's not me. It's not us. It's not, you know, we can identify that there's some crazies out there, sorry, but it's not the majority of us. And so to continue to emotionally charge us with it is just kind of playing into this idea that we're, we're uninformed. We're not aware the industry needs us to turn in, right? Uh, well, so Sarah, yeah, know, let me like, let me get Jay's Jay's reaction to what you're saying. Appreciate that, Sarah. Yes, well, yeah. um, it is true that uh, commercially organized news systems um, present this problem of um, turning news into entertainment, um, loading the emotional kick on uh, to make it more entertaining. Um, and it seems to be good that seems to be spinning faster and producing more outrageousness. And that's all real and people respond to it. But at the same time, there's something that, that the caller is hitting on that I think is really important. We, 
We also saw news ratings and respect for news organizations soar during the early months of the pandemic because they were providing um, extremely useful, extremely important information. And whenever you talk to journalists who uh, in communities that have undergone uh, major disasters, uh, they find that not just use of their products, but respect for their products soars because it, when things are really important, like a war in Ukraine or like uh, a virus that is killing us and people need information and they find the information they need in the news media, it's like the compact between journalists and their public is restored for a bit uh, and people remember what that was about. And then when there's less of an emergency, and the commercial forces take over, we kind of flip back into this uh, quasi-entertainment world. Yeah. Also, a, a, another thing to keep in mind is that um, institutions like the BBC in the, uh, in the UK, CBC in Canada, um, public broadcasters in a mature democracy like Germany, those institutions are also under attack from populist right-wing forces that understand that their kind of careful journalism stands in the way of that political movement. And the right wing in uh, the UK wants to defund the BBC. Defunding the CBC is in the um, a program or agenda of the Conservative Party in Canada. Um, and so um, there's, a, there's a deep connection between this style of politics and the attempt to defund as well as uh, create mistrust around the public broadcasters, the most serious purveyors of news in those countries. Well, I mean, wow. And second of all, what you are describing about natural disasters, major events like the pandemic, sort of strengthening the public and the media's pact or or mm -hmm. obligations to each other, how mm -hmm. do you, or do you see a way of translating that in political coverage? Well, my argument there is um, that um, we need a different kind of political coverage, which I call the citizen's agenda approach to election coverage. And in that model, instead of starting with the candidates and the parties and who's likely to win and what the status of the race is, you begin by asking the people that you're trying to inform, what do you want the candidates to be talking about as they compete for votes? Yep. And the more you can ask that question, the more people you can get to speak to it, you start to get uh, patterns and out of asking that question again and again and again to as many people as you can, what do you want the candidates to be talking about as they compete for votes? A kind of agenda originating the voters comes to the surface. And then you can use that agenda as a template for your coverage. That's where you can put your investigative resources. Though That's where you can get the questions to put to candidates. And if journalists can attach themselves first to voters and their concerns and get a very strong grip on what those concerns are, 
then they can serve the voters better than the candidates with their rhetoric can. Um, and this approach, it's not mine. I didn't create it. It's actually been around since the mid-1990s. The Citizens Agenda style of election coverage is out there. It's ready to be used. We just need journalists who are as interested in that as they are with having drinks with the chairman of the party in the Des Moines Marriott. You know the be- behind the scenes um, and and horse race approach to elections that is uh, the more normal one. So yes, I think journalists can start to recover some of that respect if they um, have a very good handle on what their publics are asking for from the political system. Well, this is Stuart writes as a professor of journalism. I'm curious what Professor Rosen teaches his students to do. When it comes to covering politics and trying to get a job and have a career in media? Well, I don't specialize in teaching students who want to become political reporters. My the the students who come to my graduate program um, are interested in innovation in journalism uh, generally. Uh, they come from all over the world. And what I teach them is that unless we can innovate in uh, uh, our connection to a live public and find ways of representing um, citizens and voters better, uh, there's not going to be a free press. And I also teach them that the free press is under attack around the world and why. And um, I, I try to challenge them to figure out how to create a stronger bond with citizens and voters than the demagogues are creating with their methods. Yes. And I think that's that's the challenge for journalism today. Yeah. And coincidentally, we were just meeting with our politics team yesterday and talking about doing a call out specifically on the question you asked with regard to what what our listeners, what voters want to hear about and have covered. Todd writes, it takes 30 to 60 minutes a day to be informed. Cronkite and Rather did just fine in that format. Trying to fill a 24-7 ad-driven network can only lead to the situation we are in. Let me go to Damien and Hayward. Hi, Damien. Oh, hi there. How are you? Well, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, Thanks so much for the conversation. It's a really interesting and deep conversation. My question, though, is regarding the financial. I'm sure CNN must have looked at the demographics and numbers. I mean, I think they would. They're big business. And maybe identified that they weren't as gaining as much viewers. Maybe they're losing some and decided to try a different tack. Um, I always remember uh, that what um, in that movie about how Fox was created and Russell Crowe says, you know, the media is all trying to get the, the center and the left, and we're just going to focus on the 50% that's the right. So I'm just wondering if CNN is trying to go after the, the, the outliers. Thank you. The outliers, the, the, the ratings for the ratings and, and for the profit. Um, Jay Rosen, just to also consider the comment that we had just before that. Yes. Well, over the last few years, uh, CNN has um, typically made more than a billion dollars a year for its parent company. Um, It isn't doing so well now. And it's possible that that's somehow behind these events that we started the hour discussing. But again, it's hard to see how appealing more to the right, if that's what they're trying to do, or let's say to uh, some sort of mythical center 
is going to solve an audience problem. Uh, a huge portion of the right wing in this country is convinced that stop the steal is the way to go in 2022 and, and 2024. So is CNN going to become sort of halfway a stop the steal network and the, and then the other half of the network, it will be acknowledged that Biden won in 2020. I mean, you have a break there, a kind of rupture in the space time continuum of journalism that can't be filled by just, um, you know, a little more sympathy, a, a few more de- uh, Republican guests, you know, a little bit more criticism of the Democrats. You have a kind of um, epistemological crisis it, once you have an anti-democratic actor in a two-party system, as I said earlier. Yeah. We're talking with Jay Rosen, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Steve writes, I get some of my news from TV, but mostly from NPR radio and mostly not from CNN. So many others exclusively get, quote, news content from less structured or vetted internet outlets. Is CNN really the main problem? How does it compare with folks choosing non-journalistic news from web sources? When you describe the threats that we face, when you describe the unlikelihood of CNN to get back viewers who left in the first place for reasons that may not be tied to rational news coverage or (laughs) coverage Mm -hmm. of news in a truthful way, I guess it leads me to the question of, so even if all the networks did, or the mainstream media did what you would like to see in terms of pro-democracy, pro-truth, explicitly focusing their attention on their their pact with the public and really serving the public. Do you think that that will change <laughs> the overall yeah. situation that we're in, the threats that we face to democracy? It's very hard to see how that would happen. Um, and uh, when you have such a huge percentage, what whatever it is, 40%, 30% of the public that um, gets its information from an entirely different source operating on entirely different rules. And they're hostile to these institutions that are supposed to be informing the public. It's hard to know how those institutions can even speak to that group of Americans. I don't think they do. Um, and you have a further problem, which is um, resentment of the news media as one of the elites is a key part of Republican Party politics now. Uh, the coalition surrounding Trump is held together by its hatred and resentment of the news media. Um, and so it's not just that they're not listening it's that when they listen, they're on the attack. And so, no, I don't think there's an, an easy way to even imagine that um, disconnect being healed. The, the only thing that I can see working is that when Americans have to confront real problems in their local communities, like our schools don't work, that bridge just fell down. 
Um, our economy is disintegrating. When they have common problems like that in a world they can touch and see and, and live in, there's still some of the old politics left. There's still some bargaining, some reasoning, some compromise. But as soon as you introduce national politics into those local concerns, it all blows up. Um, and, and this is part of the new political pattern we have. And there is a drive within the populist right wing to nationalize everything for exactly that reason, so that the polarization can continue, because they're trying to divide the country and just break off the bigger half. Well, a couple of final thoughts from listeners. Scott writes, every citizen has an obligation to do a little homework to learn the truth. I do so by checking multiple reputable news sources, not just one. Some shiny examples include Reuters, BBC, NPR, PBS. My favorite news show and newscaster is PBS NewsHour with Judy Woodruff. Russ writes, I'm biased at the best way to avoid over-emotional news. I'm biased, but the best way to avoid over-emotional news is to give up cable news and read, read, read. Newspapers, magazines, mm. books. And listen to programs like this one. Oh, thanks, Russ. That's very <laughs> sweet. Um, we are approaching, though, a midterm election, and I we just have a minute left. But I do wonder mm. if you feel like the coverage is better, we're falling into the same traps. Your thoughts on the significance of, of these midterms? Anything you want to leave us with, Jay? Well, there has been a lot of improvement. There's more democracy deaths. There's more reporters and journalists who know that they have to focus, for example, on distortions in the voting systems and, and concern about that. Um, but I think the thought I would leave you with is this. Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite are often upheld as um, true down-the-middle journalists who stuck to the facts and had, were trusted because they didn't take positions and they didn't uh, give us their opinions. They just reported the news. Um, and that's true. But it's also true that both Murrow and Cronkite came to points in their career where they felt they had to step up and speak directly to people about something they believed. In the case of Cronkite, it was that the Vietnam War was lost and was not going to be winnable. And with Edward R. Murrow was a couple of things that really outraged him. And so we're at the point now where we need people in the press to do exactly that. Jay Rosen, thank you. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.